Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Katie Delahaye Payne, who is CEO of KD Payne and Partners. Today we will discuss moving beyond traditional media measurement and measuring conversations and social media and addressing Hispanic market issues. Katie is the founder of KD Payne and Partners, LLC, and publisher of the first blog and the first newsletters for marketing and communications professionals, dedicated entirely to measurement and accountability. Her book, Measuring Public Relationships, The Data-Driven Communicator's Guide to Success, was published in December of 2007. She writes Katie Payne's measurement blog and publishes The Measurement Standard. Prior to launching Katie Payne and Partners in 2002, Katie was the founder and president of the Delahaye Group, which she sold to MediaLink in 1999. She works with, among others, Raytheon, Allstate, Facebook, and Southwest Airlines. Most recently, her endeavors have been focused on social media measurement, as well as providing cost-effective measurement programs for nonprofits, small businesses, and government agencies. Katie was named the 2007 New Hampshire Woman Business Owner of the Year by the Small Business Administration. In 2006, she was named the Entrepreneurial Venture Creator Person of the Year by the University of New Hampshire and won the Business Excellence Award for Excellence in Media and Marketing from the New Hampshire Business Review. A cum laude graduate of Connecticut College Class of 1974, Katie majored in History and Asian Studies. She received an Honorary Doctorate of Laws from New Hampshire College in May of 1996. She's an Athena Award winner and a board member of the New Hampshire Political Library. Katie, welcome. Thank you. This measurement concept, I think, is something that so many people trip over that is intimidating and perhaps they just sort of, their eyes glaze over and they think they can't do it. I've heard you speak, and when you say it, it sounds so much easier. <laughs> How do you get started? Baby steps. Basically, it's baby steps. Find out, figure out what, what piece of data you need to know. Um, for example, here's you know the, my my current favorite example is the ASPCA, the you know the Animal Rights Advocacy Group in New York. And the first thing they needed to know, this is a one, at the time, this was a one-and-a-half-person department, totally swamped, needed something to take to a board to say, we're getting PR, we're not getting PR. So they sign up for a little, you know, our little $300 a month do-it-yourself dashboard, and we set it up for them, and the data comes into the dashboard, and then, of course, nobody ever has the time to read it. So then all of a sudden, oh, my God, you get Chinese pet food recall going on. You've got the Michael Vick story going on. you get got all this stuff going on. And the board wants to know, so what's going on? You know, what are the trends? Are we getting our messages out there? What's happening? Our client, Chanel Burke, calls me and says, ah, help. And we, you know, kick in. We read all the articles very quickly. We enter them into the database. And she goes, you know, this is great. But now I need to show, you know, the next step is I'm going to have to somehow figure out what impact that had on our objectives of, of online, you know, our, our online donation objectives and membership objectives. 
And I said, well, that's easy. And it is. It's terribly easy. Basically, you pull in the feed from your, you go to your, you know, web metrics guy or your, your web guru and you say, I need to know month by month how many unique visitors we had to the site, how many unique donors we had to the site, and the total volume of, of dollars donated online. Um, and how many people signed up to be members. And, and as it happens, they know that there's an annual lifetime value to each new member. So they can actually do a, a return on investment number that says, okay, we did all this stuff, and we got, you know, $600,000 worth of new donations, and we get this many new members. And it turns out that not only did their very proactive handling of the Chinese pet food recall, you know, calling on their toxicologist at 5 o'clock in the morning and saying, we need answers, and he provided answers, and basically come to our website and find out how you can save your cat, generated this huge spike in donations. What they were then able to show is that increased level of, of media activity generated, you know, essentially twice as many uh, unique visitors to the site and significantly more donations um, throughout the course of the rest of the year. So that one person department is now 13 people. That's because amazing. you needed one piece of information, which was the you know the board wants to know what's going on. So you start with baby steps, um, and you go from there. In the book, you talk about, in the book, Measuring Public mm-hmm. Relationships, The Data-Driven Communicator's Guide to Success, you talk about the case of a university, unnamed, so we're all wondering who it is, that was not paying close attention to the community that they were in. And this caused them some very serious problems. Would you tell it better than I'm telling it and what happened? Yes, absolutely. This is a classic case of where a little bit of research is so much better an investment. Um, what happened was was the fact that in my hometown, um, the um, the university raised a lot of money and built a very large sports arena. Um, and in the course of doing so, because they're a state university, they didn't have to get planning board approval or anybody's approval. Um, so they put this big thing in there without one additional parking place. So you've got, you know, 10,000-seat arena with not a single additional new parking space. So the streets get crowded and everybody's up in arms. But they can't really do anything about it because it's done. So um, a few years go by, and essentially there's an um, election for town office, and I happen to be running for town council. And I would go around to little coffee meetings and stuff like that to meet with voters, and they would all say, Things like, well, what are we going to do about the university? You know, can we cut off their water and sewer until they pay some taxes? This is a hostile, hostile attitude and a huge change from five or ten years before. Turns out that, you know, all the faculty members who used to live in town can't afford to live there anymore because the taxes are so high. There's no ground base of support, and all of the goodwill that had ever been there was gone. However, the university didn't know that because the university didn't bother checking in with the community and measuring community relationships. Um, so turns out, you know, fast forward, 
nice alumni donor says, here's $6 million. I know you need to build soccer fields. Let's go build some soccer fields. How could you possibly argue with soccer fields, right? Well, it turns out that because, first of all, remember that there's now an existing sort of antipathy towards the, the university. Secondly, where they chose to put the soccer fields is the exact spot where every bird on its way between Canada and Florida stops. So Audubon gets involved. It is open space, so all the open space people get involved, and it's in the shores of the river, so all the water people get involved. So you get a trifecta of opposition groups lining up, plus all the hostile town residents. What ended up happening was, to make a long story short, uh, they uh, at the same time that they were announcing this you know, wonderful donation, they were also happened to be going before the legislature for the annual round of funding. And the opposition, thanks to the wonders of the Internet, were able to um, mount a campaign to notify all the elected representatives, House representatives, state senators, and board members of their opposition to this little soccer field issue. In the end, they had to give back the $6 million, and the university president lost their, lost their job. And you sit there and say, they could have done $5,000 worth of relationship measurement. It would have been so simple. They have a very good survey research. You've probably heard Andy Smith quoted a lot recently in the primary coverage. They have an excellent survey research. They could have done a very simple relationship study and learned how the, the local residents felt about them, what the relationship was, the lack of trust, et cetera, et cetera, and addressed that and then dealt with this whole issue. But instead, they chose to ignore it, jam it through, and essentially got nowhere. So I keep saying, you know, the, for, for want of a $5,000 relationship study, $10,000 relationship study, $6 million had to be given back. So what's the ROI of, me, of research in that situation? Perhaps for our listeners, it illustrates the issue of, first of all, not neglecting the community that you're in, not taking them for granted, not losing that communication link. The importance of measuring that relationship, not just neglecting it or not neglecting mm -hmm. it, but finding out where it is. And something else that you said in there that I thought was very powerful, the way that the town folk communicated which was online because it's so fast and is becoming increasingly powerful. Exactly. That's exactly it, is, is the fact that they just did not um, take into account, you know, they thought it was a little bit of a local issue. Well, you know, you get 2,000 highly educated townspeople, they know how to contact the media, and it very quickly went from a very local little issue to nation you know, to, to statewide, you know, New Hampshire Public Radio, which is of course the most um, influential source of news in the state. How do you approach a situation like this and avoid this happening to you? And how can you measure these relationships? Well, I think I think what you do is you. I mean, you avoid it by listening. People spend billions and billions and billions of dollars 
yelling at their customers, yelling at their target audiences, screaming ever louder, you know, and they spent a fraction of that listening. And, and I keep people saying, oh, well, what should I do about blogs? And I say, don't ask me, ask your customers. Ask them whether it matters to them. Ask them whether they like your, you know, the way you behave or, or the, you know, the your presence in the community. Ask them what's influential to them. All of those things are, are you know, the first step. You've got to be listening um, to your constituencies. That's, you know, your stakeholders and your constituencies. Listen, listen, listen. If you go into the blogosphere, the first thing I say to people, people say, oh, well, how do I pitch a blogger? Well, first of all, you don't. Because the moment you pitch a blogger, they get annoyed, and then they make fun of you, and they send you to the bad pitch blog, and they, you know, mark your address as spam, and you'll never get through to them again. And I'm very clear with people who try to pitch me. As, you know, I mean, I'm on the marketing blog list, and people pitch me all the time. And I'm very polite, and I say, if it doesn't have to do with measurement, I am going to put you on my blog spam list, because you clearly have never read my blog. And if you don't sit there and read somebody's blog and read somebody, listen to the conversation and see what they're talking about. I mean, somebody pitched me on, you know, the people from agencies pitch me all the time. So-and-so just got this new account. Well, how are they measuring their success? Well, I don't know. I can't tell you that. Well, then I'm not going to write about it because it doesn't have anything to do with measurement. And it's a question of listening just as you would, I mean, you wouldn't, if you were um, plunked down in the middle of the central square in Tallinn, Estonia, as I happen to have been at one point in my life, um, if you were plunked down in the middle of the central square in Estonia, you would not simply stand there and start screaming in English. Um, you know, you would you would basically listen, you'd observe, you'd watch what people said, you'd find somebody who might speak English, or you might find somebody, you know, who was, you know, a friendly face and engage them in a conversation and see what happens. Um, so it's just, it's common sense. It's just that the old rules of PR, of command and control, of controlling key messages and shoving key messages down your constituency's throat, don't work anymore. Thank you, Katie, for joining us today from Dallas, Texas. You're very welcome. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Katie Delahaye Payne, who is CEO of Katie Payne and Partners, who discussed moving beyond traditional media measurement and measuring conversations in social media, brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com. For information about an audio recording of the complete 70-minute interview with Katie Delahaye Payne and a presentation about moving beyond traditional media measurement and measuring conversations in social media by Katie, visit our resources section at www.hispanicmpr.com. That's hispanicmpr.com.